What's up, everybody? I am back with another edition of the Macro Insights Podcast, where I'm joined by very special guest Joey at Joey Tweets with an extra E. If you know me and you've been following me for a bit, you know him on the Bitcoin side, but we open up and uh, peel back the lens a little bit and go into more of his macro and stock and general financial background. Uh, And then we get into a lot of what is going on. So we get into the Fed, Jackson Hole meeting, what all that is going on in that, how the market is basically hanging on every single word Jerome Powell says the debt forgiveness and the implications of that when it comes to student loans and that policy, the meme stock craze. And then lastly, we wrap it up with some great advice from Joey on what to do if you're getting started, but obviously it's not financial advice. So, you know, if you hear this, you're listening to this, just know that Joey and I are both not financial advisors And everything we do say here is strictly for entertainment purposes only and should be taken as our opinion and our opinion only. So it's not financial advice. And like I said, not financial advice. So don't listen to us. But listen to the show because it's a really good show. Now let's get into the episode. What's up, everybody? I'm back with another edition of the Macro Insights Podcast. But first... I'd like to thank my sponsor, Inverse. Inverse is a social collaborative investment research platform. So many new companies like Robinhood and others have increased access to financial markets, but Inverse is increasing the access to high quality investment research and discussion. The entire platform is built around top-notch data and tools that allows you to analyze over 10,000 stocks and ETFs seamlessly embedded all into one platform. And then in the coming weeks, you'll be able to link your brokerage account and share your portfolio to maximize that credibility when you're talking about the various stocks and ETFs that you're writing about or criticizing, what have you. And uh, you can also have access to their portfolio analytics tools. I myself have been using the inverse platform for quite some time now, and I absolutely love it. I get on there and I share my podcast newsletters and what have you, write about various stocks, ETFs, what's going on in the macro. I do all that in the Green Candle Investments group, so be sure to join that group and discuss and post a little bit in there with me as well. But now, let's get into the show. I got a very special guest. If you've been following me for a while, you know Joey from the uh, Bitcoin side of things, but uh, now I have my, my friend, my pal, Joey Tweets, at Joey Tweets with an extra E. Joey, how are you doing today? Uh-oh. I'm doing really well. Thanks for inviting me on. I know it's just, it's like short notice. We're like grinding out the content here over at GCI. And uh, yeah, I'm giving up my lunch hour to talk about just the insanity going on south of the border here. Lots to talk about today, buddy. Happy to be oh, on. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. So I appreciate you coming on in short notice. I had a guest, a very special guest that's going to come on next week that had to push it back because he's not feeling uh up to uh a pod right now so um yeah i like i said appreciate you coming on but we're going to talk a little bit about different stuff than than we do normally because normally you know like i said we we talk a little bit about the bitcoin stuff but we're going to dive into the macro as there's a ton to get into but first why don't you tell us a little bit about like your background as far as like stocks macro because i mean everybody knows a little bit about your bitcoin side of things but what about the other side like more of the financial uh trad fi kind of stuff 
Dude, I, I wish I was like formally edu- formally educated in, in TradFi and, and economics just so I would have, you know, the other side of the equation from what the Bitcoin space gives you. And the Bitcoin space is a great place to learn. Of course, don't get me wrong. You and I both know that. So do many of your listeners and followers. But, you know, I, th- I think about the environment we're in now and I wish I had, I had known a lot of this stuff before I started my own investing journey back in 2016, 15, something like that. You know, when, when I first started investing, all I thought about was weed socks and number go up. I had no idea how to read a balance sheet, no idea how to look for quality information, use a trading view chart, um, you know, use Twitter for uh, important information disclosures or discerning what's what as far as uh, earnings reports and things like that. But now that I'm a little older, you know, I've met obviously you guys over there uh, in the States and we got a little private chat going as well. And there's a, a number of other FinTwit um, Bitcoiners that come from the TradFi space who I think provide a lot of valuable advice. They may not agree with everything I think as a, as a Bitcoin guy, but I think there's some value in understanding each other's point of view. And, uh, you know, no doubt, uh, Brandon, there's, there's a lot of people who I think, I think try and silo themselves because it makes them feel better. But if you're not being disagreed with, you're not getting anywhere. So I, I, I can't disagree with, um, with that sort of point of view, that stance enough. I, I'd be curious to hear what your investing background is, to be honest with you, because this is the first, I, this is my first macro insights appearance. And I know you're a Bitcoin guy, but I don't know your investing background actually either. So what is yours? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And I, I got into it a little bit, I think, like on one of the earlier on ones. But uh, basically, like I, I started off, I have an engineering background. Um, so biomedical, undergrad, mechanical, master's degree. Um, and during my master's degree, I was like, I, I still didn't really know what really what I wanted to do, um, to be quite honest, but I knew like, all right, I'm going to start making money soon. So I need to figure out what to do with it. Uh, and that's when I started listening to podcasts and I was driving Uber to make enough money to go out into the bars one night a week. Uh, so I started with an app called Acorns. I don't use that anymore, but for anybody just getting started, I think like one of these, you know, robo advisors might be a good place to kind of start just to get, you know, money started to get invested. Um, and so what that does is essentially you, you know, and I think at that time too, it was free for college students, but usually they charge like a minuscule fee. They just put your money into like general S&P index funds. And uh, yeah, they can let you do like certain things like you spend 95 cents, they round up to a dollar and they invest that five cents. So something along those lines. So I started doing a little bit of, uh, you know, research, just getting into it um, from there, listening to a couple podcasts. Uh, I think it, one of them was called like the Millennial Investing. I don't really listen to that one, but she was like a financial advisor. And then uh, the We Study Billionaires podcast with Preston Pish and Stig. Um, so that was before Preston kind of went all in on, on Bitcoin and everything like that. But uh, that one's a little bit more advanced for sure, like especially when you're getting started. Um, but, you know, the more you listen to it, the more you kind of like understand some of these things and get a little curious about other topics. Uh, so I started listening to them and that's when I kind of got interested into Bitcoin and like the greater macro environment. And then I just kind of got curious into that. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, just doing my own personal research, like figuring out ways to grow my own wealth was the the end goal of, you know, just doing all this research. And then, you know, I, I started telling Dan, um, who was my former co-host about disgraced former co-host. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I started telling him and a bunch of my other buddies, like, Hey, like you guys need to figure out what to do with your money too, because like, you know, we're all going to start making money pretty soon. And, uh, Dan was like the only one that really listened to me. So, 
um, I was like, well, you know, Dan, I think there's, there's other people out there that want to, that want to absorb this information. Like, I don't think I'm just like this one crazy off end person. Like, I think there's probably some other people out there too. Um, so that's kind of like why I started green candle investments and all this kind of stuff. So, I mean, like similar to you, it's all pretty self-taught. Um, but you know, I think the one awesome thing about putting out content in this space is like, you get access to so many great financial minds and, and everything like that. So, I mean, I've, I've been lucky enough to hear, you know, guys come on my spaces Tuesday nights and other places and interact with FinTwit people that, you know, come on my spaces and go to CNBC the next day and say almost exactly what they're saying, you know, there. And then, you know, I get to ask questions and do all that kind of stuff there as well. Um, where opposed they're, they're just kind of reading off a script on TV. So, um, yeah, I mean, like, like I said, all kind of self-taught, but, uh, started off with like, kind of like the general, just robo advisor trying to figure it all out. Um, but I mean, like, as I've kind of gotten in, like, like you said, I started around the same time as you 2016, 17. And now it seems like it's gotten even crazier. Like everything I think I kind of learned the first three, four you know, years, you, you find out every day that you don't know something you thought, you know, you knew. Exactly. And especially in the environment, you know, that came with 2020, crazy inflation, you know, all that kind of stuff. I think, you know, you just learn like, all right, maybe all the principles you learned and all this stuff, you kind of like dumbed it down, maybe don't apply always or and the market is pretty unpredictable. Um, so, you, you know, on that note, like, how do you view like the overall current macro environment? Just give me like an overarching umbrella. You know, we got huge CPI prints. We got energy crisis on the foot. We got a ton of inflation. Like just give me your overall general sentiment and like how you're feeling going forward. I I think if I could describe it in one word, I would say fragile. Uh, It's probably more fragile than it's been in our lifetimes for sure. I'm a little older than you, but not much. And uh, you know, I I think even our parents, you know, talking about interest rates in the eighties, for example, up at 10%, 11% and, and, you know, and more in some parts of the world, I think even they view this as a fragile environment where, you know, we're, we're, we're going through an economic, an economic um, contraction in most of the modern world at probably the worst time, as far as demographics, we've never had more entitlements uh, and more people looking to cash in on those entitlements for longer periods of time. Thanks to the increase in, in life expectancy, for example, than we have now. And we can talk about, some of the European energy stuff, Germany specifically, uh, something like, you know, 30 X, what you would have expected to pay for your monthly energy bill this, this, this time last year, uh, and the futures, um, looking even more steep as far as the cost to the average household. Canada's, uh, um, budget office today, uh, did a review of the current government's, um, the current government's sort of budget projection for next year and, and years, uh, coming And that office, which is nonpartisan, uh, predicts that the government at this rate won't be able to balance its budget until 2041 or something like that. So, I mean, I, I think about that. I think about what you guys are doing in the States, which I'm sure we'll talk about today, the debt forgiveness among other things. And obviously Jackson Hole is this weekend as well. I, I mean, I think that if I, if I was someone who had no money in the market, I'd feel fine. If I was someone who had, you know, what, what's an average? Uh, what's an average allocation for someone's liquid uh, of someone's liquid net worth into equities? For example, I know for me it's a significant amount. I don't feel great about it, but I also don't feel bad about it. I think if you had all your money in the market, you you probably wouldn't feel that bad about it either. Especially if you're around our age, you know, let's say between twenty five and forty five, it's it's very much unpredictable at the moment. And you know, on top of that, you're talking. You, we should be talking about 
things like the Taiwan China tension, like the BRICS uh, countries getting together, like the uh, SPR being drained, like the unrest at election time in the United States. You know, that's the the, the sort of pillar of democracy on the planet, uh, or you know, or it is so alleged by uh, by you and your countrymen there. And so I think about all these things, and I think fragile is probably the best way to describe what what you're seeing right now. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I, I mean, I couldn't agree more, right? And, and I think like, it's kind of interesting, because yeah, I had, you know, I do the, the Tuesday night Twitter spaces, and I had Nancy Davis on there the other, uh, the other week. And she came up and said that, you know, in, in all other FinTwit spaces, they, they're kind of seeing this recent bump up. And they're like, Oh, you know, now it's deflationary, um, that we've kind of seen it peak. And, uh, you know, everything's going to start coming down. The Fed's going to keep raising rates. And essentially, we've already seen the peak inflation. But I mean, to me, uh, and I'd be curious to hear what you, you think about it as well as like, I see just the things that you're listing out, right? Like extreme, extreme energy uh, crisis, like over in countries like Germany comes to mind, where they're, you know, moving away from the quote, unquote, ESG and green energy and burning a lot of coal in order to heat homes in the winter. You're seeing that you're seeing a potential China Taiwan conflict. I mean, it's like essentially like any day now um, when when China decides to invade Taiwan. And, you know, we've already had kind of that chip shortage and you know, companies like Taiwan semiconductors come to mind um, there where, you know, they're, they're the biggest supplier for companies like Apple. So, I mean, you know. That could also increase uh, inflation in uh, electronics and other things like that as well. And uh, yeah, I mean, it seemed like the only space that I guess was going on and that talking about it is kind of like, you know, maybe people who aren't as, uh, I guess, educated in the macro that are kind of seeing these things go on and kind of seeing, uh, kind of thinking that inflation is not just over and it hasn't peaked yet. So do you think that, like, I mean, I guess that the educational background kind of has people believing maybe that, um, that like inflation has peaked, whereas like, you know, the average person, like the average Joe, like me and you are just, uh, who are kind of like learning this stuff as we go are kind of like, wait, this doesn't make sense. Uh, do you think that kind of gives us like maybe an advantage or do you think that maybe we're missing something here and that, you know, these people are, are, uh, all, fi- all got it figured out? I, th- I think both sides are probably missing part of the picture. Uh, in in our case, right? Sort of the, I think you and me, if if we if we tr- if we picture in our heads a spectrum of you know investing chops, right? At the at the top end here, you'd have guys like Mike Green, Eric Townsend, um, you know, et cetera, who are really seasoned investors and not just seasoned, successful investors. So they've been around a long time and they've had a lot of big wins. Then somewhere in the middle, you have you know, the people who have been around a long time and don't have as many big wins, but they're at least experienced. And then somewhere between the middle and the bottom where beginners are, is, are guys like you and me, where we've been around, you know, like, like we said, I've been investing six years now, not even a decade of, of, you know, managing my own money. And, uh, I think that, I think that there's, there's a group of people like us who see things in a way that maybe the guys on the top end don't. And it's, it's sort of reminiscent of that bell curve meme, right? With the Jedi on one end and the, the sort of uh, brainlit Wojak on the other. I think that for us, when we get on Twitter spaces, podcasts like yours or mine, and we talk about what we're seeing in inflation, for example, we're living inflation, like we're living through this inflationary regime in a different way than someone at the top end of that spectrum. Someone with money, for example, someone who works for um, 
a place where, where jobs are never in danger, for example. And our experience is different for that reason, but it's also different because we, we think about our balance sheet, our monthly balance sheet a lot more. I think about what I'm spending my money on every month. I think about what my wife is spending her money on every month. I consider my mortgage payment. Like I'm on a variable rate, for example, in Canada and a lot of my, my peers are as well. So I think about all these things a little more when I see whether it's my government, your government or any other first world government making proclamations about uh, how well things are going. I can see in my day-to-day life that that's not the case. I can see that uh, my gas is much more expensive. I can see that I am more hesitant to take long trips. I can see that uh, when I go to the store, you know, bacon is on sale for $10 where it used to cost $7 on a regular, you know, on a regular day at the store. I can see all these things. I think the people at the top end of the spectrum see things that you and I don't see. They see things like bond markets, uh, you know, dur- long duration bonds showing weakness uh, that, that oftentimes is a signal that economies are, are nearing treacherous waters. I think they also see things like, uh, you know, futures and options flow, for example, that indicates that the market is moving a certain direction. I think people look at Jerome Powell's statements and they, I think that, you know, at the beginning of COVID, for example, Brandon, like how many people do you know that knew about the Burr meme and knew about the money printer? Very few, but I think now everyone knows about it. And so that's become kind of a contra indicator, I think, for people at the top of the food chain, that retail and the sort of, you know, everyone below the top tier of investors is going to be looking at this and taking it at face or constantly referring to the Burr meme when maybe these people at the top view this as, uh, you know, a, a, a more legitimate policy move or policy statement. I'm looking right now at uh, Bostich and uh, Harker and all these other guys at Jackson Hole from the last, uh, I guess, three or four hours. And the market's responding to this stuff in a way that tells me that it's not just going to be money print or go burr, that a lot of people with a lot of money and the people who have the most skin in the game think that this is going to go again uh, in, a, in a direction that is detrimental to equities markets, detrimental to the average investor, detrimental to you know uh, investors of all stripes, really. And so there's there's something in between those two that we all benefit from, especially if you're on financial Twitter, where you get to see both sides. And obviously the, the green candle spaces on Tuesday night is a great, play to get, a great place to get this kind of, um, this kind of shared uh, view, this kind of cooperation between the two parties. Now, I'd be curious to know what you think about what you're seeing in your spaces. Because like you said, you, have a, you run a Twitter space that gets you know, 1,000 people a night some of these nights, and you get a lot of big names there. Have you noticed a shift in narrative between like, you know, two days ago, three days ago, and maybe seven or eight weeks ago, let's say two Fed meetings or three Fed meetings ago. What what have you seen as far as uh, sort of sentiment around the market? Yeah. And I think like I, I get some differing views. Like, I mean, it's almost like a cop out answer, but I get some differing views there, you know, Ed, for sure. So, but I think the commonality that I hear is like, well, you know, the Fed, their only basically lever that they can pull is raising interest rates at this point, you know, because they, they already did the damage of printing all this money. And that's the only way that the fed can essentially combat inflation. But on the flip side, is it really just like a strictly monetary policy inflation? And that's where, you know, a lot of financial Twitter kind of has that disconnect. Some believe it, it, it that it is like, all right, you know, they can pull this lever and it's going to work. But, you know, a lot just see it as like more of like a supply side issue, like kind of like the issues that I was saying before, you know, you got energy crisis, 
like all that kind of stuff. You know, I think of guys like Doomberg coming in and, and saying, you know, the, these kind of things. And it's like, okay, well, you know, if the Fed doesn't raise interest rates, we're still going to have very high inflation, but, you know, asset prices are going to kind of keep rising, whether that's the stock market or real estate or other things like that. And so essentially, like, they need these asset prices to kind of go down so there's less access to money. But on the flip note, like, that that less access to money is going to hurt a lot of these companies coming in, you know, needing needing access to money to get goods capital markets capital markets and r&d especially early stage r&d early stage startups need yeah they need they need easy money to succeed of course yeah yeah exactly and so you know what this is going to do is essentially uh, just just put uh the u.s in a recession now a lot of people i see like a disconnect too where they're they kind of talk about the job market where they think that the job markets are still you know thriving and everything like that and, you know, just anecdotally, I, I personally kind of went through this uh, a job switch recently and finding a job was not uh, as easy as everybody, you know, sounds like granted, I'm not uh, in an entry level position, but that seemed like basically where everybody was hiring. And, uh, you know, it, it, it seems like, uh, like you said, like a lot of these people who have a lot of money, they don't really feel the effects of inflation that maybe you or I do, or maybe many of our listeners do as well. And so I, I think that, that, um, you know, their disconnect is not as evident as, you know, maybe Powell or the, uh, white house press secretary who comes up there and says, you know, says the crazy things that she, she says, but I think, you know, not only financial Twitter, but other people are kind of starting to wake up to the fact like, Hey, like, you know, inflation's running crazy. Like, why did this happen? And they're getting more curious. I know I saw like unusual whales. Uh, so shout out to him. He runs great spaces and account too, but he tweeted out, I believe it was like somewhere between 50 and 60% of Americans believe that stopping um, the, or like doing student loan repayment on their debt, um, student loan, like forgiveness, I'm sorry, on their debt is going to increase inflation. And so, you know, I see like a lot of people just in my, uh, you know, fiat mining job that, that they were ecstatic that this happened. But, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of these uh, student loans were federally backed. And, uh, you know, the, the government's going to find out how to get their money some way, shape or form. And so I think that there's still like, you know, the financial Twitter is aware of that fact uh, that, you know, canceling student loans and stuff like that overall probably would, wouldn't be good long term for the economy. But like I see I see other people kind of come up too that are kind of like excited that that fact is happening. Well, yeah, I mean, is it, is it fair to say that the same people who, uh, you know, think that it's a good idea are the ones who couldn't figure out how to make the student loan payments on time, couldn't figure out how to manage their finances? Like, it, this is sort of a general sign of financial illiteracy, in my view. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more with that as well. I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's just a, a big financial literacy issue, like not only in the United States, but probably globally. Uh, and I think like, you know, more people are, are figuring that out just because everything is tightening around them. And I think it's out of necessity at this point. And it's kind of, uh, you know, dis- discouraging to see to see all that. Um, but, you know, it's it is kind of uh, I think like, you know, at the end of the day, some people aren't aren't going to wake up for to it, you know, because like we're seeing this conveniently timed policy right before midterm elections here in the States where, 
you know, Biden is given this forgiveness. So for those who haven't seen, it's, you know, if you're making less than 125K a year, you get $10,000 off your student loans. And if you received a Pell Grant, um, I'm not quite sure the qualifications for a Pell Grant, but you get uh, $20,000 off your student loans. And so, you know, that's billions of dollars that the federal government loaned out and now all of a sudden are just going to poof gone thin air. Like this, I don't Disappears, really- man. Disappears. Yeah. And uh, I heard a good stat on Commentary Magazine's podcast yesterday. Christine Rosen, who is a columnist for Commentary, pointed out that, you know, if you think about the way debt affects the most people and the way the White House is sort of painting this as a way to support uh, poor, poor people and minorities as if somehow they should be grouped together at every turn. Uh, she pointed out that the average um, wage in America is about $31,000. Do you know what the average wage of the um, people who just had 10000 or 20000 uh, in debt forgiven was? Now, how much? Seventy-four. So, you know, if you're talking about really helping people who need it, it's a horseshit metric. They know that the people who are getting that debt forgiveness are the ones they've kind of lost, um, who've lost faith in them over the last two years, and presumably the ones who are just in a position where they have enough as far as home ownership, investing, whatever, to notice that inflation is giving them a hard time. And so they're trying to buy back that vote leading into November. It's it's truly treacherous. And I'll just also note, I don't want to speak out of turn because I'm not an American, but I'll also note that, you know, there's a lot of people who say, well, why didn't I have my debt forgiven? And and the answer is, why are you against debt forgiveness? Why why does it matter to you if you paid your debt? We should be forgiving other people's debts. I, I would I would pause it to you and to people listening and watching that it's not about the people who've already had their debt forgiven or paid off. What about the people who take debt next year? Are they, are they taking it? Uh, and should they be expecting a Jubilee like you got? Uh, because now these people who are part of the Jubilee class truly become the privileged of, of next year, next five years, next 10 years, right? Well, you were able to get out of your debt because Biden forgave you as part of an election campaign. Uh, and I didn't get that same, um, thing. And so, Next time, you know, when the next set of kids is running around uh, Times Square yelling, eat the rich, they're going to be talking about these $10,000 uh, of these people who got $10,000 forgiveness. It's lost on them. I'll make one other point. Political, maybe, but I, sh- I think we should, I'm going to say it here. You don't have to respond. The Republicans are mishandling this because the answer to debt forgiveness like this is not to say, well, we should forgive debt for people who need a truck for their work. We shouldn't be telling these people who need a truck for their work that they have to get an electric car to you know, make sure they're better on gas and they're paying less for fuel. We can't tell people that uh, can't afford their hydro bill, well, just get solar panels and it'll be fine. Can't tell people that shit. What they should be saying, instead of saying we need to forgive other debts, they should be completely... Uh, uh, averse to this kind of practice because what you're seeing now is Republicans doing the work of the Democrats for them. We we cannot go down a road where you get, then I get, then you get more, then I get more, then you get more, then I get more, because eventually you're going to have a debt jubilee in totality. And when, when that happens, I mean, you're really, you're absolving people from their moral obligations, their ethical obligations. And really, you know, from like a pragmatic point of view, you, you can't be an adult if this is something you need to get by. Uh, if you couldn't make a good decision at 18, this is another bullshit thing I don't buy. People are going into universities not knowing what kind of degrees they're going to get. You know, you may not have known at 18 or 19 when you got there, but certainly by 21, uh, you started to think about this. And if you didn't, that's really your problem. Uh, you can vote, drink, join the military, all those things. If you can't make that decision for yourself, then you shouldn't be allowed to vote either. You shouldn't be allowed to smoke or drink, or I would argue other things, other privileges should be revoked too, but that's a, an opinion that might be too harsh for this show. I just think it's, you know, it's, it's really dangerous to talk about which debts are worthy of forgiveness compared to others. It's, it's a, a game you don't want to be playing in a modern democracy. 
Well, I mean, you know, on that note too, like you're saying like death being forgiveness, but I feel like there's a, a deeper underlying story too, where it's like essentially people are just getting used to, especially the past couple of years, the government just coming to their rescue and giving them handouts. And so- That's you and me too, by the way, with, yeah. uh, you know, interest rates dropping and free money, like everyone assumes everything's just going to be okay, right? Yeah, well, exactly. So it's not only that, like interest rates were at all time lows. We had, you know, stimulus checks where, you know, obviously they, they printed a bunch of money, but, you know, people got just rant just for living, got like checks of like fourteen, fifteen hundred dollars like or what, two or three of them. And, uh, you know, obviously it wasn't enough to sustain over that long period of time if you lost your job or anything like that. But, um, you know, people were, were vouching for those. And, you know, I think at that time, uh, if you were against stimulus checks, you were kind of like an asshole, right? I mean, like people were like looking at you like, why don't you want to help all these people thinking that this 14 or $1,500 or what or 1200 whatever it was, is going to help people, you know, a family of four or whatever through, for, through an entire month. And like, you know, I don't know about you, but my expenses, whether it was rent and all that at that time, like that wouldn't even cover like any of it. So, I mean, you know, it's, it, it seems like it's all kind of just like a farce at this point, like, you know, just covering the underlying issue. And like you said, just kind of almost like buying votes. And I don't think like either party is like really playing, playing it correctly at this point, to be honest. But do you think that there's kind of like an underlying issue now where it's been a couple years now and it seems like, all right, every two years, four years, whatever, people are going to start anticipating some of these handouts and they're going to start, you know, becoming more dependent on the government as, as things go on. So do you think like that's kind of the slippery slope that we're on? Or do you think, you know, there's, there maybe is uh you know, some, some light at the end of the tunnel where somebody's going to come in uh, and kind of change these policies and not necessarily give all these handouts. Well, I'll tell you that uh, this may look like a coffee cup, but I was actually drinking milk in here and I'm glad I was because that my friend is a spicy take that there's going to be a two year, four year cycle of, you know, insane uh forgiveness uh mechanisms for people who just made mistakes over the last two or three years i don't think you're wrong and i I also would just say that some are more obvious than others what we're seeing here is kind of a mask off moment for politics i think there's there's boat vying in every election um entitlements are one way to do this uh you know we, we we can talk about in canada we have this thing called the baby bonus that goes up every time there's an election or healthcare you know there's more money put into healthcare or now you get free dental in ontario you know up here that's what we're talking about now there's there's all manner of ways to buy votes i think to your point about the expectation that's the important thing people now are going to look at this and say hey these guys literally gave away you know i think it's like 800 billion dollars or something like that was that was that was that the number of uh, the debt relief something something of that nature i think it's about as far as i understand it it's about 3 uh, or sorry it's about 80 million americans at about 10,000 each which i think is about 800 million dollars okay so you have this this um this i this like you know huge swath of people who have all manner of debts there's and there's nothing wrong with being in debt like everyone carries a bit of debt i know i, I carry a bit of debt I'm sure you do. I'm sure you know people you know do. I don't view these people as irresponsible, but if if these people start voting in a way that disregards other policies because they just can't put food on the table, for example, uh, or can't make ends meet with rent or mortgage, for example, or they have another child and the kid needs food or clothing or shelter, or whatever, and they 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 turn their backs on things that would normally be part of an election campaign. 
social issues or, you know, domestic defense or, or military spending or, you know, Roe v. Wade, great example, right? If people are voting only for the, the, the party that will give them the most money in their pocket, that's a bad thing for democracy. And it used to be that you at least had to be smart enough to be able to discern through policy positions and through speaking, you know, speaking engagements, and things like that, whether there was going to be money coming to you or not. Now you don't even have to be that smart, which is another problem. They're really lowering the bar for being able to interpret what's coming in an election. And I would be shocked, Brandon, if in 2024, the debt jubilee thing for students is not a huge election issue because if inflation continues to run hot, you know, 6% plus 7% plus for another year, um, I mean, how could it not be, right? Everyone's going to be thinking about this stuff. And you can see in the minutes from from uh, Jackson Hole that at least two of the Fed governors don't think fuel the fuel relief is going to stick around. Uh, at least two of the Fed governors think there's going to be a 75-point hike. And I saw today that it looks like Huawei, which is, I guess, one of the biggest companies in, on the planet, certainly one of the most influential, is telling their staff that it's going to be a downturn like no one has ever seen before. They're preparing for survival. I mean... Come on, if if you think all this stuff is at least partially true, even um, you know th- it's a it's a whirlwind, and I just I would argue that politicians used to care about not throwing gas on the fire because they cared about the direction the country was going in. Broadly speaking, now I just I, I don't think that's the case anymore. Yeah, and I mean exactly like you said, like it's it's seems like it could be maybe a you know a slippery slope and it would be interesting to see how it all plays out in like the next couple of years and you know you brought up Jackson Hole and I, I think that's kind of an interesting point here because you know we're talking about debt forgiveness so right ten thousand per you know American that has student loan debt so a bunch of money being just vanished right and so that obviously is going to cause inflation but then they're going to hike rates you know it's like they do one thing that's that's trying to combat inflation and then doing another thing that's basically making inflation even worse. And so, you know, like I, I, I like Powell has a very tough position and I, as much as like people give him grief and everything like that, it's like at this point, like what can you really do uh, to kind of pull the levers? Like maybe he should have acted earlier. Like everybody can kind of play Monday morning quarterback and go back and say, you know, all these different things. Like he didn't act quick enough. He should have raised raised earlier Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. But I mean, like you said, it seems like to me that that we're at a place where we can see a very, very bloody recession and maybe even like a depression. And so it could be to a point where like they're they're handing out money, but they're trying to combat it. So like, how do you see all this stuff kind of kind of playing out in like this this Fed Jackson Hole meeting? Like people are kind of at the edge of the seat, like listening to Powell's every word, dissecting it. I know you and I are kind of following just not not strictly just because of content, but, you know, I'm, I'm genuinely interested in like what's going to go on and like how the market's going to react with all this stuff. So, I mean, on that note, like how do you think like every single Fed meeting, like people are going to be hanging at, at the edge of this guy's uh, word? And, uh, you know, at this point, it seems like Powell has almost an insane amount of power where he can essentially say say one thing and the market's going to go in either direction. Yeah, I think that's probably true and will continue to be true. I'll, I'll note that Jeff Gunlock uh, often says that if you don't feel like watching Jerome Powell and the Fed meeting minutes and all that other FOMC kind of you know gong show, you can just look at the two-year rate and see where the two-year rate's going, and the Fed trails that usually by about a month or two months. So I haven't looked at the two-year rate this week, but generally it's it's you know going up. And 
so I would expect another raise. I'll also note that Fed's, the Fed's job is uh, harder now than it was five years ago for one other reason. And that's because of the retail exposure to stocks that just didn't exist five years ago. You and me, you know, we, when we were investing early on, I would never have known about FOMC meetings, about, you know, quantitative tightening, quantitative easing, the interest rate mechanism and lever. Uh, all those things are, are, you know, they're foreign to a new investor, unfortunately, or at least they were. Now, thanks to Twitter and because most of us have at least one friend who's obsessed with this stuff, you're getting people into the space for the first time and giving them, you know, kind of a, a pamphlet. Here's where to look. Here's what to look at. And here's who to follow. And part of that now is, unfortunately, Jerome Powell. And uh, he's, he's, I think, finding, or at least the Federal Reserve, I think, is probably finding that the general, um, the general malaise from most Americans that they're used to is disappeared and it is never going to return because people are people are managing their own money now no one i know buys mutual funds they all buy their own etfs you're doing that i'm doing that uh i think that the other problem as far as like you know where this is going i i really don't know but i would say that i don't know because you know i, I this is not my thought although I, I do think this as well it's not it's not only me that thinks this i'm sure many people think this i don't think we've ever had this many moving pieces that have significant tangible potential um uh, inputs on where the global economy goes next. And I don't think that the Overton window for what comes next as far as system changes has ever been so wide. There's definitely a lot of people who think that, you know, the great reset agenda is something to be concerned about. I don't know much. Of, I don't know a lot about that, but it's, it's on my radar for sure. A lot of smart people I listen to, you know, macro voices and, and market huddle. Those are great podcasts with a lot of really smart people, well-known world renowned investors. And I hear Great Reset now more than I ever have before. I hear Debt Jubilee more than I ever have before. I hear BRICS more than I ever have before. I hear US dollar hegemony falling apart more than I've ever heard before. I hear Belt and Road, things like that. If you, if you start going down these rabbit holes, you will find that it is impossible for the average person to you know, make heads or tails, to draw a map from point A to you know, this sort of unknown point B that's either... I don't know. Is it six months, 12 months, 18 months away? Who fucking knows? But uh, I think the best thing you can do is just be agile as an investor and not be married to any thesis because all it takes is one zero hedge headline to turn everything on its head these days. Yeah, exactly. And you know, you brought up an interesting point about retail getting invested. And I know you're, you're kind of limited on time with your, your lunch break. So this will be like the last l little topic that we'll get into. But uh, I want to get into like the meme stock craze because it seems like, you know, that that isn't over. You know, it's we had GameStop AMC at the beginning of, you know, COVID years where everybody was kind of starting getting in. And now we've kind of recently had AMC with another resurgence. They did a new ticker with Ape and that stopped trading, I think, like the 11 times on the first day that it was available. And then people are kind of doing the same thing with Bed Bath & Beyond. So, I mean, on that note, like, you know, we, we were talking about like how when we were just getting started, the things that we wouldn't find and figure out. But it seems like a lot of people that are getting started are just kind of like, you know, yellowing into a lot of these meme stocks. Like, do you think like that this uh, I mean, obviously, I, I don't think that this is a sign of like a healthy economy or healthy way of people getting in just to try to figure out how to you know get rich quick, essentially. But I think that the underlying issue here is that a lot of people are just trying to find ways to get out of the US dollar, raise as much money as they can because they see the writing on the wall. So they just need, you know, a quick influx of cash. 
So, I mean, do you kind of see it in a similar light or do you see like people just more so like, I guess, gambling and just kind of having fun with it because they have too much time on their hands? I don't think it's a product of too much time. I, I agree with more or less everything you said there. I'll just add, I'll add some color where I think I can, where, where I think I can. With stuff like AMC and stuff like, you know, this Ape Token or Bed Bath Beyond or GameStop a year ago, you know, what, what I see is twofold, right? There's the guys who have too much time on their hands. Everyone was playing with those COVID checks, which by the way, like talk about an incredible failure. There's just no, no attempt to even earmark that money for groceries or rent by a huge chunk of the population. Thanks to, you know, Davey Day Trader at all uh, on Twitter, just banging stuff out all every day. Right. So that's, that's one issue, but I think more broadly, if, if I, if I can, I'll tie it back to Bitcoin a little bit. And I think Bitcoiners, for the most part, are smart people who just don't see another way to grow their wealth through traditional means. They don't have money to employ a money manager. They don't have uh, the capital to buy rental properties or, or you know, what have you. There's, there's many different ways that people with money grow their wealth and not many ways people without money can become wealthy. And so what we're seeing now is these sort of low entry barrier vehicles whether it's Bitcoin, whether it's AMC, GameStop, uh, ApeCoin, Dogecoin, you name it, right? People just looking to take a moonshot because they see that not only is the, you know, I, I don't think a lot of people know that the writing is on the wall for the US dollar, but I do think that a lot of people understand that their position in life is not going to change short of, you know, what's probably damn near a miracle. So that's, that's one thing about the meme stocks. Other thing about the meme stocks is, man, you know, I think if you, if you really want to go deep, like this is probably too much for today, but there, there's a psychological component to stuff like GameStop, uh, AMC, and that psychological component is that there's a lack of community, generally speaking, in people's lives. I really believe that. And when you can embrace a community of people and you don't have you know, a close group of friends or a good family or you're locked inside your house for three months because of COVID, the bar for what you consider community drops every single day until you find yourself pissing money away because some guy on Reddit posted a chart that you can't really read, but it has a lot of upvotes. And it's, you know, the AMC trading view chart uh, with rocket ships and diamonds all over it. And you're like, fuck it, I'm going all in. And there's another guy who says, fuck it, I'm going all in. And then before you know it, you know, you're a front page on CNBC for two weeks. And that, that kind of thing is, is caused by lack of community, lack of engagement in real life from people. And that's a bigger problem. Uh, I think it's a bigger problem when it comes to political siloing economic siloing. And then of course you wind up with this kind of insanity, right? Like look no further than, you know, Jim Jones or Waco or whatever. Like if you get too many people thinking the same thing for too long, uh, you're going to find that you almost never get a good result. And uh, thankfully this time there wasn't a, you know, firefight with the U S government, but uh, rather just a bunch of good memes and uh, probably a bunch of people who pissed away a lot of money. Like great, like great example of government wasting their time and energy, right? They brought that Keith, kitty guy on or whatever remember he was like he had to testify in front of congress like Orange that's banana. yeah, yeah it's, that's banana republic shit right and so you know is the gamestop meme thing over buddy only until their interest rates go uh go down then it's you know you're right back on that first the first 50 point hike uh is going to indicate a pivot is at least in the in the works and uh, i think you're gonna see things go gangbusters from there yeah, for sure. So, I mean, on that note, uh, what is one last advice like you would give somebody like that is looking into getting into investing? You know, they're seeing all these crazy things going on, you know, whether it's 
you know, Bitcoin, shit coins, meme stocks, whatever, like what would be one advice that you would get, or one piece of advice that you would give somebody that's like, Hey, you know, I want to get started, uh, getting into investing. Like what would, uh, be one thing that you would give them to give them like a little confidence, obviously not financial advice, not financial advisors or anything like that, but, <laughs> uh, you know, give them a little bit of like, Hey, like, all right, you know, this isn't, this is a smart idea opposed to like, all right, I'm just going to lose my money as soon as I put it in. Sure. Uh, okay. Well, I'll tell you, I'll give you two pieces of advice. One for when you're starting out and one for when you're making a decision. When you start, assume that you know nothing and fees are not the worst thing in the world to pay for a robo-advisor. So in Canada, you know, much like Acorns, well, Simple has a robo-advisor. I think it's actually free. But uh, anyway, you can, you can find ways to invest your money wisely and Uh, also I would just note that don't expect anything to happen for six months at a time, right? You might see a little bit of a jump day to day, but really what you're talking about for the first six months or a year, 18 months even is your deposits, your consistency paying off as far as the balance goes. And for those 18 months, it's going to be slow grind, but, uh, set something up, forget about it and go from there. Now, my second piece of advice, this is a piece of advice I give a lot of people for a lot of different things. I don't know if I've said this to you before, because you and me talk in a lot of different places, but Before you make a decision about selling a stock or buying a stock based on something you saw on Twitter, before you make a decision about texting the girl you met at the club last night, before you make a decision about buying a pair of shoes, before you make a decision about, you know, heading to Pornhub, my advice to you, okay, is get an egg and hard boil it and eat it. That's enough time for you to sit down and think about what you're about to do and decide whether or not it's a good idea. And on top of that, you add to your protein intake for the day, which is always a good idea. So start small, be consistent, and boil an egg. There we go. Boil an egg. Joey, thanks so much for your time. Why don't you tell people where they can find you and what you got going on? Canadian Bitcoiners podcast. Me and my buddy Len hosted a couple times a week. You find it wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, I I have been coming to Brandon's Tuesday spaces to listen, uh, his Friday spaces to talk, and uh yeah, if you ever got any questions, hit me up on Twitter or uh, tell Brandon what the questions are, and then I'll just ignore his messages. Yeah, there we go. And CBP, CBP Media, you got to <laughs> plug your other shows too, right? Whatever. We, we got the Bear Cave. We just had Doomberg and Mike Green. I got one other guest in the cooker and one other one that I've, I've asked for an introduction to. And uh, we have another show that's also in the pipeline that I haven't talked about with anyone yet that uh, we're excited to announce probably in the fall. So yeah, look out for that. Yeah, there you go. CBP Media on the rise. All right, Joey, thanks so much.